on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. July 10th, PFT PM. It took a little while for the slow time to speed up, but my gosh, what a crazy 24 hours or so it's been in the NFL. I got three different stories I want to discuss, and then I'll answer some of your questions. And I say some because, number one, time may limit me from getting to all of them. Number two, a lot of times the questions that you've asked already were covered in the three or however many topics we've addressed throughout the course of the day. I got to start with this LaShawn McCoy situation. I was up in my studio taping my videos for the day because even though I'm on vacation, vacation, I still do six or more of these little one to two minute videos that they put a pre-roll out on the front end of and they make a bunch of money and they give us some of it. So so there's a point where vacation has to take a break. And it's every morning around 11 o'clock when we do that. And my son texted me this Instagram link of a woman who had just been brutally beaten. It's like, what in the hell is this? And then you have to learn how to decipher the actual content of an Instagram post where you've got the photo and you've got everything beneath it. And it turned out it was an accusation against Bill's running back, LaShawn McCoy, of causing that damage. And it became apparent that the person in the photo is supposedly Delisha Corden, a woman who has been or had been, depending upon how the facts come out, dating LaShawn McCoy. And strong accusations made against him in this Instagram post of causing the injuries, of beating his dog to the point where it had kidney failure, of viciously beating his son for minor offenses like peeing the bed. And it was and is a very powerful image and a very powerful message. I immediately began the process of trying to get to the bottom of it. And you start first and foremost by getting a response from the people involved. LaShawn McCoy's agent, Drew Rosenhaus, the Buffalo Bills, the NFL. It's a matter of sending text messages and emails to get someone to say anything. And no one really said anything much at first. And I think that the initial position slash hope was this would not catch fire. Well, it caught fire. How does it not catch fire with images that graphic? Whoever did, assuming that that's a real photo of somebody who was beaten, whoever did that needs to be in prison. So about an hour later, LaShawn McCoy issued a statement saying that the allegations are completely false and that he hasn't been involved with any of the... What what, what was the... It was... It was a, a statement that was so broad. And let me just go ahead and get it. So I I don't screw it up any more than otherwise have. Because the way I look at this, the strength of the statement from McCoy, when I say strong, I don't mean that I find it persuasive. I mean the force with which he denies this. Not just saying the allegations are totally basis and offensive and completely false, but by saying, furthermore, I have not had any direct contact with any of the people involved in months. That creates a pretty clear either-or situation. And I remember back in 2007 when Mike Vick was first accused of, of being involved in dogfighting. 
I remember thinking early on, well, if this guy's been going to Surrey County, Virginia, to this property that he owns that just happens to have a dogfighting operation on it, it'll be fairly simple to prove it because unless you bring all your groceries and everything else you may need while spending time at the property you own in Surrey County, Virginia, you're going to be mingling around from time to time. You're going to be making purchases from time to time. And even in 2007, we were making a lot of credit card, debit card purchases and not using cash. I mean, think about everything we do when we use those cards we have. It makes it very easy to reconstruct where we've been. You go to the airport, you get cash out of the ATM, there's a footprint that you were at the airport. You go to the store, you use cash, you use, not cash, you use a debit card or a credit card to pay, there's your footprint. You get gas, there's your footprint. I mean, it pops up everywhere. So it should be easy as a threshold matter to prove or disprove LaShawn McCoy's claim that he hasn't been in direct contact with any of these people in months because his digital alibi will hold up, right? It'll hold up. Now, if there's overlap, that's when you have to look at what McCoy said and you ask yourself, why are you taking such a strong position? Why are you saying something that isn't true? Now, I haven't seen them in months. I haven't been around those people in months. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, you just, you bought, you bought lunch yesterday in the same town where they were. How do you explain that? And look, you did that. You, you, you got gas at, at the, the convenience store three blocks away from where she lives. How do you explain that? So that's how that would be done. And the NFL and the Buffalo Bills will be doing something like that. They're investigating it. See, LaShawn McCoy denying it isn't enough to make this go away. It's too explosive. The photograph is too horrifying. They can't just say, okay, LaShawn, we're taking your word for it. Now, there have been some other developments, and either the original Instagram post was deleted or the account was flipped to private. I have MDS looking into that. I don't know what the answer to that is, but when I click on the link that my son sent me earlier today, it now says that the page is gone. But it's possible that the account has been flipped over to private. And I see all sorts of other allegations now that may or may not be accurate about somebody else being sent at McCoy's behest to quote-unquote pistol whip Delisha Corden. So now the story is shifting, apparently. And I'm hopeful that the Bills and the NFL between them will have the resources and the wherewithal to get to the bottom of this and get to the truth. But, you know, one thing we know about NFL investigations, the truth they get to is the truth they want to get to, right? Whatever the NFL decides right out of the gates is what they believe the truth to be and want the truth to be that is the truth that they will find a way to engineer and if you have people making very strong accusations and if you have people who can tell a credible story that either LaShawn McCoy hit me or a guy who hangs out with LaShawn who I know from wherever and I've seen him before hit me or whatever it may be or he made threats that he was going to have this done you have to hear what the witnesses say, and you have to assess the credibility by asking probing questions, by examining demeanor, body language. Does it seem like this person is telling a believable story, or does this person seem to be full of crap? That's what it comes down to. So, I'd like to think on the surface, 
if LaShawn McCoy is telling the truth, the digital evidence will corroborate that and he can be exonerated. But if the argument now is that it was someone else said at his behest, then you have to look at that. And the first thing I think of when I hear that is Ray Carruth. Remember that? How crazy that all sounded when we first heard about Ray Carruth hiring someone to kill his girlfriend who had gotten pregnant because he didn't want to pay to raise the child that she was going to give birth to and the child survived with serious permanent disabilities and the the woman was killed. And Carruth is getting out of prison, I think, at some point in the not-too-distant future. So I'm not saying LaShawn McCoy's guilty, but it wouldn't be the first time an NFL player got someone else to do his dirty work if there was any dirty work that was actually done. So let's just keep an eye on this, right? We went through this a little bit last week with Janoris Jenkins. Was it last week or two weeks ago? I think it was two weeks ago. Time flies when you're on vacation. At first, with Janoris Jenkins, it was like, uh, let's just, a dead body at his house. Let's just wait and see. And then it was quickly resolved, the allegation being that Janoris Jenkins' brother was the one who was there and, and caused the death of the, the individual who was found there. So sometimes it falls together quickly. Sometimes it takes more time. With this one, I have a feeling it's going to take more time. But we have to keep an eye on it. And you have to wonder whether or not the Buffalo Bills are going to find themselves at some point without LaShawn McCoy. Because if, and look, it's not just the NFL and the Bills. If the police get involved in this, and it looks like Delisha Corden, when you look at the picture that was posted, it kind of looks like she's in a hospital bed. If you go to a hospital with those kinds of injuries, I guarantee you, you're going to be questioned by the staff there as to what in the hell happened to you. They have a duty to be on the lookout for those things. And they will alert the authorities in cases where they believe that somebody has been injured by someone else. So this thing is just getting started. And the end result could be some sort of charge being made against LaShawn McCoy. It could be LaShawn McCoy being placed on paid leave. It could be the Bills out of luck when it comes to having the services of their starting running back. And I did a video earlier today about DeMarco Murray, who said he's been in touch with four or five teams. And my advice to him, as this all was starting to bubble up, just wait. Now, I assumed at that point that it would be an injury that would create an opportunity for DeMarco Murray or Adrian Peterson or any other veteran running back out there who thinks he can still do it but who has yet to get a phone call. Just wait. The Buffalo Bills may have a very specific and significant need at running back before too long. And that's why they have an incentive to get on top of this. they got to figure out what the hell is going on because they need to know whether or not they need someone else to play for them. I hate to be that that mercenary about it, but from their perspective, right? Number one, let's get to the truth. Number two, we better know as soon as possible whether or not we're going to need someone to take LaShawn McCoy's place. We got games to play. And if we're not going to have him, we better get somebody else in here and get him ready. These are all to be determined. Again, the allegation has been made. LaShawn McCoy denies it. He's entitled to all constitutional presumptions as it relates to the criminal justice system. The court of public opinion can do whatever the hell it wants. 
and it already has. Just go to Twitter. People proclaim him guilty just by seeing the photographs, which is a little bit ridiculous, but ridiculous wins far more often than not when it comes to how people react to things on social media, which leads me to topic number two. And let me preface my comments by saying, I really like Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Arizona Cardinals. I think he's one of the, I don't want to say few, oh, what the hell, one of the few owners who actually gets it, right? Because I think the ultra-rich and uber-privileged kind of lose sight of what it's like to be a real human being. And I think some of them, and I'm always impressed when the ones who were born into it somehow find a way to remain grounded. Because it's not like they built anything. It's not like they got this started. It's not like they were eating Campbell's Soup and Chef Boyardee and had to struggle and fight and scratch and claw and take real risks with whatever meager life savings they had in the hopes that they could put something together that they could build and build and build and build. And the next thing you know, they got a billion dollars in the bank. The guys who those of us may call members of the Lucky Sperm Club or born on third base and thought they hit a triple, those guys, when those guys come off as real people, that's impressive because it's hard. If you've never even been in a position to be real, if your entire life has been this altered universe of wealth and privilege, if you can come off as somebody who gets it, as somebody who can relate to people, that's impressive. Michael Bidwell, one of the few who can do that. But, but he's opened himself up for criticism with the position he's taken on Brett Kavanaugh. And I think he's smart enough to know how to posture this because, and this is like any other political issue, folks, I'm trying to step aside from this and just help explain it. Everything is political in politics, and there's nothing more political than the appointment for life of an individual who will be one of nine who determine the ultimate application of the United States Constitution. Nothing is more political than that. The president said it himself. Other than matters of war and peace, the most important thing a president does is select members of the Supreme Court. Now, it's subject to a Senate confirmation process, and right now the procedures and the numbers are in place to allow Judge Kavanaugh to elevate from appeals court judge to Supreme Court justice which makes Bidwill's effort to wade into this unnecessary. It really is, because I look at it this way. Nothing that the owner of the Arizona Cardinals says is going to help Brett Kavanaugh make it to the U.S. Supreme Court. I mean, it's the Cardinals. Let's be real about it. Yes, they became, somewhat surprisingly a few years ago, a semi-national brand. Now, that's faded after last year's poor performance, and I think the the force of Bruce Arians' personality had a lot to do with that, but no one is going to stop in their tracks because the owner of the Arizona Cardinals is taking a political position, but it's definitely a political position. Oh, I'm just supporting my friend that I went to school with. It's still political, and Michael Bidwell is smart enough to know that it's political, and he's smart enough to say that it's not. 
but it is. Michael, it is. And he knows it. He doesn't need me to tell him. He knows it is. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's providing political support under the cover of friendship. And he did it not just by signing on to a letter with multiple other prominent individuals who went to high school with Brett Kavanaugh. He did it through an article posted on the official website of the team that he owns. Not all that different than John Elway sending a letter last year supporting Neil Gorsuch for the U.S. Supreme Court on Bronco's letterhead. Well, it is different because this is the primary media portal that the Cardinals have created to communicate with fans and media and anyone who's interested information about the football team. So the problem that I think reasonable people should have with this, and again, try to set aside your political beliefs and just understand whether there is or isn't a double standard. I know you like the double standard if it ends up supporting your political views and you loathe the double standard if it doesn't. I just like pointing out when there are double standards because I don't think it's fair to the people involved. I don't think it's fair to the NFL's players to be told by the owners what they can and can't do, especially after the owners have previously given them the right to protest during the national anthem. That's the one thing that everyone has lost sight of. And I was very encouraged to see that the footnote to the NFLPA grievance that is being filed over the adjustment to the anthem policy without collective bargaining, which is a violation of the labor agreement. You have to bargain. You've created this right. The NFL created this right. The NFL gave players the right. They didn't have to. They gave players the right to protest. And then when they realized, well, this is going to be bad for business, they tried to remove it without going through the proper channels, which is, hey, union, let's sit down and let's figure out a way to roll back this right. That's exactly what the NBA did when Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf didn't stand for the anthem back in the 90s. It's exactly what the NFL should have done. The NFL didn't want to do it because the NFL didn't want to make a concession to the NFL Players Association. Plain and simple. In this push and pull back and forth, the NFL's position is screw you, union. We're not giving you anything unless we have to, unless we're forced to. We're not giving you a damn thing. That's the attitude. So anyway, players up until May had the right to protest during the anthem. And they did. And the people who led that effort, specifically the one person who was the first one to do it, has been shunned because of it. And we all know it now. Come on. Come on. Any fair-minded individual looks at the situation and knows the reason Colin Kaepernick has been out of football for a full year, and you can throw out any bullshit argument that you want, that, that people have been pushing and I think teams began pushing it to justify their position. I think a lot of this stuff is going to be exposed. Whether Colin Kaepernick wins or loses his collusion grievance, a lot of this stuff is going to be exposed if and when it goes to a hearing. And even if it doesn't go to a hearing, even if the NFL wins its summary judgment motion, all of this stuff that they've found, the evidence that supports collusion, the evidence that shows there was an agenda against Colin Kaepernick and there was an effort to make him look bad as opposed to you know, an effort to just put the best football players possible on a given team. That may all come out. 
But the disconnect here, the double standard here, is expecting players to not use the platform that they have on game days. But then, here's an owner using the team and league-provided platform. Yes, he owns it, but it's still the platform in the offseason. It's the official website of the Arizona Cardinals carrying an article in which Michael Bidwell advocates an inherently political cause. Oh, but it's just his friend. You know, the point I tried to make last night, anytime you try to help a personal friend, how is that any different from advancing a personally held belief? It's something that you want to see happen. And it can either be a family member, a friend, or I just believe this is the way it should be. Period. I believe... In abortion rights, I believe in the right to choose. I believe in the right to life. I believe in the right to bear arms. I believe in this. You personally believe in it, so you're doing things aimed at advancing it. It's no different than helping a friend. You're doing something that you want personally to see happen. Period. Now, again... And this goes back to the fact that Michael Bidwell was smart enough to know exactly what's going to happen and how it's going to be received and how it's going to be spun. Oh, it's not political. I'm just helping a friend. I'm vouching for his character. There's nothing political about it. Yes, but everything about it's political. Everything about this process is political. And would Michael Bidwell have jeopardized his friendship with Brett Kavanaugh if he had said to him, hey, judge, Look, everything's looking great for you. Congratulations on getting the nomination. I've been following this. The numbers seem to be just about right. This thing's going to sail through. You're good to go. Congratulations. And, you know, I'd love to help you, but this is kind of a weird time right now with all the whole, you know, Donald Trump constantly defecating on the heads of the NFL's owners and and this anthem thing. And we have this litigation with Colin Kaepernick. So I, I'd love to help you, but this is probably not a good time for me to, you know, be be going to bat for you in this way. And then Brett Kavanaugh would say, well, I mean, God, I mean, do you really expect anything the Arizona Cardinals say or do to actually make a difference in this? And that would have been the conversation. And really, that's what I keep coming back to. Who the, I mean, really, really, all due respect, which means here comes the insult. Who the hell cares what the Arizona Cardinals owner thinks about this? I mean, who cares what I think about it? Who cares what the players think about it? Who really cares? Is it going to change anything? That's my point. Is it going to affect anything? Is this the, is this John McCain coming in and holding his hand out and dramatically going thumbs down? No. So why do it? Why do it? I got a lot of views on the stuff that's going on in the world right now. And I tell you, I, pull, I, I hold my tongue far more often than not. Oh, bullshit, you do. Trust me, I do. Because it's not going to matter. It's going to make me feel better to get it off my chest. But it's not. nothing I say is going to matter. Nothing Michael Bidwell says is going to matter. Nothing any player in the NFL says about Brett Kavanaugh is going to matter. So why do it? Why put yourself in a position where there is a perception of a double standard? There is a perception that when the players do it, there's a consequence. And when the owners do it, we'll do whatever we damn well please. And maybe that's why he ultimately did it. To just prove to anyone who really pays attention and understands who runs this league and who doesn't. And I hope the players are paying attention to that. And I hope the players react accordingly. 
because it really was unnecessary. It really was. Brett Kavanaugh is not going to renounce his friendship with Michael Bidwell if Michael Bidwell doesn't publicly support him through the Arizona Cardinals official website. He's not going to do any such thing. And if he does, well, okay, so what? How many cases is Michael Bidwell going to have before the U.S. Supreme Court? Now, that said, there will be plenty of issues that are important to Michael Bidwell that make their way to the U.S. Supreme Court, but it's not like the guy is going to change what he was already going to do because he's pissed off at Michael Bidwell. The whole thing to me. And I'm glad we've had this little therapeutic session today where I can talk it out. The idiocy of the whole thing is that there was no reason for it other than to remind the players who's boss. And all those players out there, especially you players on the Arizona Cardinals, remember that message from your boss today. He's reminding you all who's boss. He'll do what he wants because he's the boss. Steve Keim is the boss of the football operation. In Arizona, and the point that I've been making recently, until we know the BAC result, we really won't get a feel for how significant the penalty imposed upon him by the team or the league will be. Bidwell, who was on talk radio today talking about the support for Brett Kavanaugh, expressed extreme disappointment of what Steve Kahn did. Unacceptable and inexcusable. He did bring it to our attention right away that night and has been extremely remorseful and contrite. He's taken steps to make things right. But the reality is that there is a process in place that the league has, and there are going to be consequences here. Now, I don't know if Bidwell already knows the BAC result. I have a feeling that Kime knows what he blew that night. See, with Michael Floyd, when he was busted December 12, 2016, all we got was word of the arrest. Nine days later, we found out it was extreme DUI, or is it super extreme? It's super extreme in Arizona when you're plus 0.2. Michael Floyd was 0.217, if I remember correctly, and there's a chance I don't, but it was plus point. It was above 0.2. We don't know what Kimes was. We'll find out. This excerpt from the police report via ESPN.com, there was a strong odor of an alcoholic beverage, Kimes' eyes were bloodshot and watery, and he spoke with a slight slur. He said he couldn't do any of the physical components of the field sobriety test because of a pre-existing knee injury, and here's the kicker. He, he gave his real name, but then he said that he's in security. He works with Sean McKenzie. And the cops said, the only officer, Sean McKenzie, I know was killed in an off-duty vehicle collision, and I believe he was referencing him. Kime told the officer he had two beers and some pizza earlier in the evening. So, look, it's just a bad look. It's a bad look. And, and I understand that Kime may have been under the influence of alcohol when the time came, and he was processing this in real time, and when your judgment's impaired... Maybe you do say some stupid things like, I'm not the GM of the team. And isn't that fun? How anonymous is the GM of the Arizona Cardinals? This gets back to my earlier point, right? How anonymous are you that you can get pulled over in Arizona? You can give your name. Yeah, I'm Steve Kime. Oh, what do you do? I work for the Cardinals. Oh, really? Uh, what, what do you do there, Steve? I work in uh, security. And why does it matter at that point? What does it matter? That's just weird. Hey, I'm betting the over. I don't know I don't know what the over-under is on the Steve Kahn BAC. I'm betting the over because that's just weird. 
And Steve's not weird. Steve may have been really drunk. We'll find out eventually. We'll find out what the punishment is. And, and I, I mean, weird. That, that's the appropriate word for all of this. You got Bidwell going on radio stumping for Brett Kavanaugh in the immediate aftermath of this Steve Kime debacle where more stuff may come out. More stuff will come out. The BAC will come out. So, strange days indeed. Apparently there's been another LaShawn McCoy development. And I want to see what it is, and I want to address it at some point before I wrap up. Apparently there's been a statement from a police officer in Georgia. Darren Gant is writing the story at PFT, and the problem with multitasking during this PFTPM podcast, it, it's going to be hard for me to, uh, to look up exactly what's being said and have this thing still be somewhat mildly remotely entertaining. So I'll check back again before we wrap up and see if the story's posted. For now, I'm going to transition to the, the questions from the PFTPM posse. And I think there are plenty of them, especially today, although I've probably addressed many of them with what I've already babbled on about. Here we go. The PFTP, and not, not a ton, not a ton, but here we go. PFTPM posse chiming in via Eddie Horse Sports. Tepper saying the Jerry Richardson statue has to stay up as a term of ownership has to be BS, right? I don't care one way or the other whether the statute stays or go, but I, I wonder if Roger Goodell, John Mara, et cetera, et cetera, persuaded him to do that. All I know is this. When David Tepper had his introductory press conference today, he said he's contractually obligated to keep the statue up. Now, it's possible he was lying or fudging, and there's no contract that forces him to do it. But if he's telling the truth, it's possible that part of the purchase of the team was the statute has to stay up. Statue, not statute. The statue has to stay up. And who knows how much more money Jerry Richardson could have gotten from David Tepper in lieu of a clause that says, oh, by the way, that statue of me must stay up. Darren Gant pointed out to me the possibility that it's a city issue, that that. Tepper doesn't have the right to take the statue down because he doesn't own the land on which the statue has been erected, but contractually obligated. I mean, if look, all you'd have to say is, I, 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 that's not for me. That's a city issue. Now, maybe he's taken the heat to have a good relationship with the city. See, everything's political, folks. Everything's political. Maybe he's saying I contractually can't do it because he doesn't want to push the spotlight over to the city and say, well, you know, take that up with the city. That's not my issue. And now the city's got to deal with this potential push to take down the Richardson statue. So I don't know where that all stands or how that all came to be. But the bottom line is the statue of Jerry Richardson in a suit holding a football out is still going to be there, even though he ended up selling the team under circumstances that I, I mean, was it is it in disgrace? Is that fair to say? I think it's fair to say. Because he didn't get to sell the team on his own terms. It was his knee-jerk reaction to the news getting out that he had multiple allegations of workplace misconduct that resulted in multiple settlement agreements and confidentiality agreements that were supposed to keep all that stuff under wraps, but apparently did not. Apple 1, 2, 3, Apple 11, which football player has the best nickname? I don't know. All-time or current? What's the best current nickname? I always like pork chop. 
I always got a kick out of that one. And he hate me, I think, is the all-time best nickname. That's not an NFL nickname. But that one keeps coming up from time to time. 18 years after the fact, he hate me. I don't know. I don't know who's really got the best nickname as of right now. I don't know. I guess I've been stumped. What else do we have? At On Tour Forever, how soon is West Virginia going to have legalized sports gambling? Heard anything through your legal grapevine? The last I heard a couple of weeks ago, FanDuel is going to provide the mobile betting once the regulations of the West Virginia Lottery Commission have been finalized. That's where it all stands right now. Everything's in place. It's just for the Lottery Commission to finalize its regulations and everything to become effective. They hope it all becomes effective by football season, and it's not just going to one of the local casinos. There are like four or five of them in the state. There's a casino at the Greenbrier, and there's several racetracks with casinos, but also the ability to be in West Virginia anywhere. You have the FanDuel app. You can bet. The geo, what do they call that? Geo-targeting? I don't know what it is. But if your phone is actually in the borders, even if you're not a resident, you can have the FanDuel app downloaded, and you can bet. Which... I tell you what, it creates a real incentive, especially in the border towns, to open sports bars. Because, it, I mean, it's it's one thing to drive across state lines and just sit there in your car. It's another thing to go somewhere, watch the games, and bet on the games in real time. And I still see this evolving to the point where, and the technology has to get there, the latency issue has to be removed from the TV broadcast, but I see this evolving to the point where you'll be able to make bet one play at a time. So you got to be in a place where you can see what's going on one play at a time. And wouldn't it be a coup if sports bars were the first ones to get this latency in there and have a period of... Now, the NFL wouldn't like that. The ratings would go down if people are going to sports bars so they can watch the games there because there's no latency issue there, whereas at home you're going to have latency. So I think it's in the NFL's interest to ensure that as soon as possible, all TVs in any location have zero latency, so you have maximum time between the end of a play to the start of a new play to make your bet. But anyway, it's coming in West Virginia. And it's already happening in Delaware and New Jersey and Nevada, of course. West Virginia, ready to go. Other states coming soon. And this thing's going to continue to spread. Another one from at on tour forever. Do you think we'll ever hear the truth about why Jameis Winston's suspension was only three games instead of six? I don't think we need to hear the truth. I think we know the truth. The truth is it was negotiated. The truth is the NFL, for one of two reasons and maybe a little of both, the NFL realized, number one, if you suspend this guy for six games, you're inviting another legal fight that will make the NFL look like the Keystone Cops when it comes to investigations and a kangaroo court when it comes to appeals. And the NFL's focus now, except when, you know, advocating for the the appointment of a Supreme Court justice, the NFL's focus is to get back to football. They want to get back to football. They want the focus back on football. So by working this out with Winston, by not throwing the book at him, by presenting him an offer that he couldn't refuse, and along with it, giving up his ability to appeal, three games buttoned up, They make their statement, and it's over. I think that's part of the reason why the NFL did the deal. And also, I think part of the reason the NFL did the deal, this was the first discipline of its kind in the Me Too era. And I think the NFL was concerned at some level. If all the details come out, maybe this thing takes on a life of its own, and maybe that six-game suspension becomes a de facto permanent banishment 
for Jameis Winston. And there aren't enough bad quarterbacks to go around. So you're going to kick a guy out of the league? I think the NFL is starting to realize that there is a certain element of stupidity inherent to having these rules that take competent, highly competent, highly skilled football players and tell them they can't play. For example, because they smoke weed. Ooh. Josh Gordon, Justin Blackman, Ricky Williams out of the NFL for a year during his prime. So I think the NFL is starting to realize, you know, if they're worried about the supply of football players, maybe they shouldn't throw out of the league for reasons that really don't matter all that much to the sport. Players who are good enough to provide the entertainment that everyone is looking for. On tour forever, one more question from him, Rob G. Probably not Rob Guerrera. What do you think the odds are for a lockout in the next few years? I'm with you, thinking the players aren't giving up game checks, so I put the odds at 10%. Well, okay, a lockout versus a lockout that lasts into the regular season. I assume you mean a lockout that would last into the regular season. And I'm always intrigued when I hear lockout now because the last work stoppage was a lockout, a work stoppage started by ownership. And that was because they hated the CBA that was done in 2006. The CBA that was done in 2006, that had a two-year clause where either side could opt out. And it became immediately clear in the aftermath of the signing of that contract that the owners were going to opt out because they hated that deal. It's almost like they didn't read it all. I mean, I remember the thinking was, Paul Tagliabue wants to retire now. And part of this was, hey, Gene Upshaw who was then the executive director of the NFLPA, let's get this deal done because I'm out of here. And sign it, gone, see ya. They can worry about it after I leave. And then they realized they hated it. So they opted out in 2008, and everything was about setting the stage for a lockout because the NFL didn't like the terms of the 2006 deal. So the one way to push this back toward what they like is to exert maximum economic pressure on the players by saying, we are locking you out. And we're fine with that. But the players weren't. See, people criticize the NFLPA all the time for the deal that was done in 2011. My response to that always is this. They did the best deal they could, given that they had rank and file that was not going to miss a game check. It was this time of year where it all started to finally fall together because you know what? We're going to start losing money, folks. The players are going to start losing money. So the players decided, collectively, let's take the best deal we can. And they did Get some impressive concessions late in the process. Hey, we want less practice time in the offseason. The owner's attitude was, well, does it cost us any money? No, it doesn't. All right, goodbye us. We want uh, less padded practices during the regular season. Well, does it cost us any money? No, it doesn't. Okay, goodbye us. I think the NFLPA did a good job of squeezing some more out of the league to get the deal done. Because the league ultimately didn't want to lose money either. Even when you're a billionaire, you don't want to throw away the opportunity to make more money, but the billionaires can withstand a year without football a lot more easily than the players can. Now, could there be a strike? I just don't think the players are going to go without game checks. Think about it three years from now. Well, save your money. Okay, say that to the kid who's playing in college and not getting paid. Maybe that's one of the reasons why the NFL doesn't push for college players to get paid. They got less money to save makes them less likely to strike. And I'm only saying that partially jokingly. But really, I remember this all started a couple years ago. Oh, players start saving your money. You got guys in high school 
who are going to be playing in the NFL in 2021. They're in high school. What are they doing? They got a job down at the Piggly Wiggly. They're squirreling away an extra 25 cents per paycheck. I think the one thing that the NFLPA needs to do if they're serious about this, they need to set up their own games. They need to have their own league ready to go, and they need to put the plans in place, and they need to say, here's what's going to happen. In 2021, if we do not get terms that we like, we are going to strike. And if slash when we strike, we are going to stage our own games on Sundays. We've already got the tentative agreements in place with the stadiums. We will find a broadcast partner at the appropriate time. It won't be anybody who ever has done or wants to do business with the NFL, but it's a big broadcasting space out there. Surely they'll find somebody to put those games, quote unquote, on the air somewhere. But that's the only way to do it. That's the only way to get their attention. Look at Le'Veon Bell right now. He has to make the Steelers think he won't show up for training camp of the preseason if they don't sign him to the long-term deal by Monday. He has to make them think that in order to get his best possible deal before Monday. Well, the players need to make the owners think right now that the players have a viable alternative that they will use. Not maybe, but will use. It all comes down to a battle of wills a test of of commitment. And the owners always have the commitment. You go on strike, fine, screw you, we'll get replacement players. Okay, fine, you get replacement players and you put those guys in NFL uniforms and you try to tell people that that's as good and we're going to be playing right across the street. The real players, the best players. And you can't just throw that together from February to September of 2021. They need to know now that's without that until that happens and I'm not saying it will or it should but until that happens I don't believe the players are going to strike and if they do it's not going to last very long at tree true do you think Bill Belichick is making more than Tom Brady this year would imagine he got a raise after Josh or John Gruden and Josh McDaniels I don't know how much Bill Belichick's make I, makes I had heard 12 five and somebody told me that's light Brady's making 14 this year. I have a feeling Belichick's making more than that. At Real Jason Gibson, favorite Kiss songs and how many times have you seen them live? I'm only 31, but I've been to 19 Kiss concerts. Seeing Ace solo for the sixth time. Ace is still alive on August 9, 2018. I love the Kiss references on the podcast. I actually have. I have, and I'd have to put my headset down and go get it. I have laminated the review of the Pittsburgh Kiss concert that I saw in January of 1978. And that was magical. So I saw them the first time in 78. It was the Alive 2 Love Gun Tour. Then I saw them again after they put out the album Dynasty. And that was when they started to kind of jump the shark a little bit. It was this big, elaborate white stage with all kinds of fancy lighting and very ornate costumes. And then I only saw them twice back when I was a kid. And it was 1996 when they got back together, put on the makeup. They had the original lineup. I saw them in July. And I remember they did two nights in Pittsburgh. That's how big of a deal it was. I went the first night. And I wanted to go back so badly the next night. It was killing me. I remember sitting. And I don't know what I was doing. I was working at home or something like that. I just remember sitting there saying, I want to go back so bad. I want to go back so bad. But, you know... My wife was was about two months away from giving birth to my son. 
And it's like, you know, I got to be an adult now. I got to be responsible. It would be stupid to drive all the way back to Pittsburgh to see the show that I just saw last night. But, oh, God, I want to go back so bad. So then they continued that tour, and they swung through some cities they'd never been to. And I saw them in, where did I see them again? They were in my hometown of Wheeling, West Virginia, which was kind of pathetic, but it was neat to see them there. I saw them in Charleston, West Virginia a few nights later. They were back in Pittsburgh again. That's I'm up to six now. Is it six? That's six. So I'm in Pittsburgh in 98 on the Psycho Circus Tour. And then I saw them in 2000, their farewell concert up in Pittsburgh. So I've only seen them like seven times. And I haven't been back since then. I've had opportunity to go back. But, you know, YouTube's a good, YouTube would have been great as a kid because one, one of the things that was fascinating about Kiss, you, you rarely saw them on TV. Now, maybe TV wasn't interested, but how could they not be? I mean, my God, with the explosions and the fire and the, and the makeup and everything, it was just, it was, I just remember that it just, it struck a chord because, you know, the, the guys in the rock bands were kind of scuzzy looking, you know, like, I mean, like, like Keith Richards, like, yeah, 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 okay, I'll go to a Rolling Stones concert and wear a blindfold. But Kiss was just like bombastic and big and it was loud and it was visual, and nowadays, that, that's more of a curse than a blessing because you pull up some of the videos of recent performances. It's like, what did these guys do with Kiss? Paul Stanley's voice is shot. I mean, Gene Simmons has got to be wearing like five different girdles. And, and that hair, I understand when they put their makeup on, like it's some different kind. I don't know what kind of, how many wigs Paul Stanley has, but I, I don't know what that is that Gene Simmons does with his hair. I don't know what that is. I mean, his hair is so bad. Well, I'm not going to say it. So, some of you out there may know where I'm going with that one, but we've already been close enough to the political line. Anyway, um, it, it's, it, it, it's, there was nothing else like it for a 12-year-old kid. Nothing. And I, I probably the, the main reason that I still have that affinity for them is nostalgia because it takes you back to those days. So, anyway, SARS Monster 15, will Dez play this season? I think Dez will play. The question is, when will he sign and how well will he play? And will he sign with a team early enough that he actually can play well? I think that's the key. At the Impact 99, based on expectations, would you say the quarterbacks of the NFC South have underachieved overall? Breeze is the only one with a ring, yet he should possibly have at least one more. You know, that's a good point. Now, you've got a Super Bowl MVP. Andrew Brees. You've got two regular season MVPs in Cam Newton and Matt Ryan. Jameis Winston still hasn't quite gotten to the point where, right? But I don't know. Have they underachieved? I don't know. I mean, the problem is they've existed during the same era as Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. And yeah, that's been pretty much it. But they still have more football left in them. So. I mean, we'll see how they play out here. People think the Saints may have a great shot at getting to the Super Bowl this year and possibly winning it. Ten Newkirk, are you on the Greer-Heisman bandwagon? Look, I think Will Greer looked great last year until he messed up his finger against Texas, I think it was, in mid-November. They're definitely making the push for him, and this is the time of year where you do that. I remember Geno Smith had the Heisman campaign rolling back in 2012. He had 25 touchdowns and no interceptions, and then it all fell apart. I remember somebody telling me, somebody who's with one of the teams, you know what? 
if Maryland had a halfway decent free safety, that person would have had three interceptions against Geno Smith. So a lot of what you see at the college football level, a lot of the great passing performances are a product of defenses not nearly being as good as NFL defenses are. And Geno Smith's NFL career has borne that out. We'll see what kind of player Will Greer is. There's already buzz about him being a first-rounder next year. And the better he does this year, you know, it, that's kind of the way it goes for West, West Virginia football. It, the, those rare occasions when everything lines up well, it's because we've, we've lucked into getting somebody. Somebody who wanted to go somewhere else couldn't go somewhere else. Something fell apart and that guy ends up here. Makes it all the more surprising that Randy Moss didn't end up at West Virginia. And frankly, he probably would have if he would have had to sit out a year if he had transferred from Florida State to Marshall. Because back at the time, Marshall was 1AA, i.e. FBS, and you could do an immediate transfer and play right away. If he'd had to sit out a year, I could have seen him going to West Virginia. I don't know if West Virginia was even interested, but if they weren't, I mean, what the hell's wrong with them? At Reverend Markworth, how come front office personnel get off so easy with DUIs unlike the players? Well, I mean, not all front office personnel get off easy. Tom Lawand was suspended 30 days and fined $100,000. Matt Russell was suspended 60 days by the Broncos. The uh, Broncos also suspended Tom Heckert for 30 days. Jim Ursay got a six-game suspension, although he didn't lose the revenue that he earned during those six games. So I think that, okay, you have to watch the game at home. I mean, you're still cut off from your team, but it's not the same as a player not being allowed to do the thing that he's there for, play football. There have been some assistant coaches in recent years who didn't get suspended at all, which is odd. Look, here's the bottom line. The players are subject to one set of rules because they're in a union. When it comes to the non-players, the NFL can do whatever it wants. And we'll see what they do with Steve Kahn. We'll see how high the BAC was, and we'll see what they do. The fact that he lied, even though it's this clumsy, stupid, unforced error, it's not a good look. Will that influence the punishment? We'll see. At the Real Forno, how much will the Ray Rice debacle play into how the NFL handles the situation with LaShawn McCoy? I mean, look, the, the Ray Rice debacle is the reason why there's a standard six-game punishment for a first offense involving domestic violence, even though nobody ever gets six games other than Ezekiel Elliott. And even then, that one felt like it was overhanded by the NFL. So I, I, we'll see. We'll see. But obviously, it's Ray Rice that has created this situation where the NFL takes it more seriously. The photos are graphic and disturbing. If LaShawn McCoy is responsible for it, I think he may be done. If it's determined that he's responsible, directly or indirectly, for those photographs, he's done. He'll never play again. At Reverend Markworth, what's your favorite summer activity outside of speculation on the dormant NFL? I just like being home. I like being at my house. I like hanging out with my family. I like having people over. I like firing up the grill. Tonight we're making steaks. I'll tell you what we did Saturday night. I had a box of five pounds of sausage from my buddy Bobby V in Chicago that was in the freezer. Popped it out, thawed it, cooked that sausage up, got a big cast iron skillet at the grocery store. And that thing would come in handy for home defense. You could either whack somebody with it or you could hold it up against your chest like Batman although it wasn't a cast iron skillet and block bullets. Cut up a bunch of peppers and onions, added some olive oil, cooked them down, put it on the grill directly, had some big Italian hoagie rolls, stuffed the sausage and the peppers and onions with the olive oil into them, put provolone cheese on top, put them back on the grill, and let them bake there. Oh my gosh, they were so good. Took a little more time than just throwing a steak on, but oh my gosh, they were so good. So that's what I like doing in the summer. I just like being here. 
I like hanging out. Because once it all gets started, it's kind of nonstop, it's kind of crazy, and I love it, but it's a different existence than just being able to hang out. So I just like hanging out. And this year's been different, too, with the dog. Hanging out with the dog is fun, but it's, it's, it's different. Having to go outside every couple of hours because the dog has to do something outside that you prefer the dog do outside instead of inside is a change to your existence, that's for sure. At Apple123, Apple11, will Antonio Brown ever surpass any of Jerry Rice's records? I haven't done a comparison. I haven't charted out how many years he'd have to play. Remember, Jerry Rice played until he was like 40, and he played at a high level deep into his 30s. I, I don't know that Antonio Brown ever gets there, but I saw Gil Brandt's list of all-time greatest receivers, and he had Antonio Brown at like number five all-time, which was kind of surprising to me. All right, a couple more, and then I got to go. At Paul PJ 5 what's it been like to watch games every Sunday with Dan Patrick? Is it going to be weird to not watch games with him anymore? It is going to be weird. I love being around Dan. And let me tell you, every once in a while, not every week, he doesn't force it, but every once in a while, he has a feeling about an upset. And I'll tell you what, 90% of the time or more, he's right. So maybe it's good not to be around him. Because with gambling legal now, and uh, Connecticut, Connecticut have legalized gambling, I man, he's he's very good about picking regular season upsets. I don't know how he does it, but he's very good when it comes to that. At Tree True, has there been any news about Don Yee's football league? I haven't heard anything lately. This is the league that's going to be alternative to college football where kids can go pay or get paid to play instead of not get paid to play college football. I haven't heard much about it at all, but I think with gambling, there'll be an appetite for more football, not less football. At Fittis and Kane, any chance of getting a PFTPM interview with Bruce Arians? We've tried to do that. I haven't heard anything lately. He's with CBS now. We have to contact CBS and see what will transpire. Brady asks, has LaShawn McCoy had any other issues with the law to date? I don't remember any. There was, I don't, I, I'm going to say I don't remember any. Because I don't want to misremember. But I don't remember any. I'll have to look that up. Dr. J144, is Tom Brady supporting Trump as a friend similar or different than Michael Bidwell supporting Brett Kavanaugh as a friend? Seems similar on the surface, right? Brady didn't get the backlash Bidwell has. Ah, Brady got some backlash. He had to make America Great Again hat in his locker. Now, Brady's support came back at a time when Donald Trump wasn't taken seriously as a candidate. Brady got real quiet about it when it was down to Trump and Hillary Clinton. And remember, there were some comments from his wife that suggested maybe he was told to zip it when it comes to supporting Donald Trump openly. Now, the other thing is there was never an article on NewEnglandPatriots.com where Tom Brady extols the virtues of Donald Trump as president. And he didn't wear a Make America Great Again hat on the sidelines at a game. Not that he would have been allowed to do it, but he didn't do it. So I think it's different in that regard. Bidwell used his official football team platform to advocate for Brett Kavanaugh. That's what bothered me the most, and that's what makes me believe that this is an example of a double standard. It was unnecessary. It has no impact whatsoever on Brett Kavanaugh's candidacy, and it was done possibly to remind the players who's in charge. All right. I'm in charge of the podcast, at least as it relates to when to shut up. I'm going to shut up now. We may do another one tomorrow. We'll see. We'll see. Developments will drive tomorrow's. There won't be one Thursday. Friday with A-Flow is back on track. He was down in the gym today. And he'll he'll get on the bike and he'll ride that bike while he plays like Call of Duty or something. And then he starts lifting weights. And, and there's a heavy bag in there. And he was beating the shit out of that heavy bag. It scared me. 
It's like, I hope he gets all his aggressions out in there because I'm ready to surrender the, the title of king of the household. Because he already could throw me through a wall, but he's been working out pretty hard lately. He could probably throw me through two walls in one shove. All right, we'll do that Friday, and we'll probably do one again tomorrow. Thanks for your continued support. Check us out at profootballtalk.com for all the latest news, developments, analysis, etc. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.